Hi everyone, and welcome back to Well Not Perfect. This week, while I'm on vacation, we're gonna be doing something a little different. I want to share with you again, one of my favorite episodes from last season. Dion Miller was my first guest on season two. Whether you've listened to this episode before or not, I encourage you to tune in and get inspired by Dion's resiliency, bravery, and honesty. Today on Well Not Perfect, I am so proud to have Dion Miller. She is an incredibly talented female sports anchor and reporter at ABC7 Chicago News. Prepare to get a glimpse inside of her incredibly resilient mind and see the personal side of her life that often gets unseen on TV. What most may not know is that she has climbed the ranks in the broadcasting world all while battling an eating disorder and still fights for her recovery to this day. I recognize now that my identity is not anorexia. And my identity is is in my faith in God and is in who I am as a person and my worth as a person. In today's episode, you will learn how to fight the inner critic that lives in our minds, ways to keep a balanced mindset, and why you can find hope and purpose too. Welcome to the first episode of season two, Well, Not Perfect. Today we have a very exciting guest joining us She is a full-time working mom of two, a hustler in an extremely cutthroat industry. She has a true passion for Chicago sports and Chicago sports fans. She is the first full-time female in the ABC7 Sports Department, and I'm so thrilled to have you today. I want to get into this because I'm curious how you landed in Chicago and why you kind of reclaimed this as home. Oh, wow. Well, um, I started in this business. I don't even want to say how long ago. Um, and I always, I, I wanted to, I thought ESPN was the end all be all right. I mean, growing up, that was what I watched and I wanted to be on sports center and I thought I could do it. And, um, and that was the end all be all, but I knew in this industry, you had to kind of work your way up. You had to get in. I interned at a station in Sarasota, Florida, which is, um, one of my hometowns, I consider Ohio and Florida, my hometowns. Um, and I interned there and it added ironically at an ABC seven station. And one of the anchors there, a uh, longtime anchor, she just said to me, you just need your ticket on the ride. Once you get on, you can change horses as much as you want. You just need a ticket in. And so I understood that just getting in the business was my first step. And I got that first job in Billings, Montana. I couldn't have picked it out on a map, let alone like known what I was getting into. Um, I went to Billings, uh, was a one woman band, which basically meant that I was my own photographer, uh, editor, reporter, producer, and anchor. I did that for exactly the length of my contract, 18 months. And then I went to Burlington, Vermont, and did the same thing uh, with my own cameraman and or camera woman and editing and producing and doing all the things by myself. And then, um, and the one thing about our industry that I talk about, it reminds me a lot of minor league baseball, right? So you get drafted and if you're good enough, the next level calls you up. And if you're good enough there, the next level calls you up. And I was really blessed by that trajectory in my career. So from Billings, Montana to Burlington, Vermont, um, to San Diego, where uh, when I was in San Diego, I was there for exactly a year. They had a change in management and they laid off a bunch of people. And one of them was me very devastating as a uh, type A people-pleasing perfectionist to have someone tell me that they didn't 
want me around. That was very devastating for me, but turned out to be an incredible blessing. Um, I was able to go back to Sarasota, Florida and work at that ABC seven station for about six months. And then I got a job in Columbus, Ohio at a regional startup network. Um, and I was hired as the main female anchor there. Uh, and we started a reg hyper regional show in, in Columbus. And uh, I, it was me and a male anchor who is now my husband. Um, that lasted for, uh, the station itself lasted for about a year, maybe a little more than a year. And when that closed down, I was able to get in with Fox Sports Ohio and the Big Ten Network and working as covering the Cavaliers in Cleveland and covering high school football and then doing a bunch of college stuff, traveling with BTN. It was super fun, um, but I was an independent contractor. And then we, um, surprise, had my son, who's now 10. And when we had, Cash, his name is Cash, when we had Cash, we kind of thought that we needed, someone needed a full-time job with benefits. Neither of us had that. And so I talked to my agent and I said, look, Chicago has always been huge on my list. Um, that's the largest market I would want to go to. And I just love to see if I could do it in, in a city that big with sports fans that are that passionate. And I got an opportunity at Fox 32 here. Um, and then after two and a half years, moved over to ABC seven and I could skip into work every day. I mean, it just is silly that I get to do this job and it feels, I still enjoy every bit of it. It still challenges me. Um, it is very, very competitive. Uh, the world has changed a lot because of social media and because and how we do it has changed, but my passion for it has not. And um, the fans are why I do it. I wanna help bring those who are so passionate about their teams closer to their teams and make them feel like they know what's going on on the inside a little bit better. And that's what I enjoy about it. And it's, I have loved being, I'm a Midwest girl at heart and it feels like home here. It felt like that from the moment I got here. And now after almost a decade um, and raising my family here and really investing in it, uh, Chicago is, is home. And I'm really proud to say that. For you to say that it took one ticket to get on the ride and then you went through this roller coaster that you just explained, a lot of people can relate to that because when you have a really specific industry that you want to get into and you want to be successful in it, people have already paved the path. And typically mm -hmm. the path is to do X, Y, Z. And then, like you said, if you're good enough, then you arrive to the next destination and you keep going and you keep going. And that is almost daunting and grueling for people to look at that and say, wow, she's 15 years ahead of me and that feeling overwhelming. Did you ever look at it in such a big picture or did you just kind of like nose to the pavement every day, just kind of let it evolve? Like what was the mindset that you had to sustain the energy that you had to have to like arrive to such a successful place? Honestly, I am an incredibly driven person. Uh, that was, it was always, and, and I know I mentioned ESPN was the goal that has clearly evolved. Like, I feel like I am in a place where this is what I want to be doing. I want to keep sharpening my skills and, and this is where I want to be. So, but I, but I had that drive all the time and, and I didn't let anything get in my way. I have a couple of regrets because of that. Um, I wish that I would have stopped and taken a breath in a couple of the cities that I was in because they were beautiful places. And, and I, I have lifelong friends in each city that I lived in, but I was always thinking what's next, what's next, what's next and, and pushing myself and never being satisfied. I'm still, I still struggle with that. Um, never being satisfied with what I've done, critiquing myself very, very hard. And, um, and, and, 
and sometimes pushing myself in unhealthy ways, uh, that was kind of, I don't know if that's, if that can be part of the reason that I've been successful. Uh, I think partly it is, um, but also pushing through the scary, pushing through those moments where I felt insecure and putting myself out there and then gaining more confidence in who I am and who I am as a reporter and, and understanding that I know my stuff. Um, and also respecting those around me and, and using the mentors that came into my life to kind of help me keep going. It was definitely, it's definitely been a grind though. And it still is because, uh, I do feel that competition all the time, uh, mostly with myself, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, competition with yourself because there's probably not anyone that you can look to and say that they're on the exact path as you because no. you're in such a unique independent lane. And as a contractor in different places, especially without social media, there was probably no one that you could really compare yourself to. And so you did that inward. And there's no such thing as a good thing or a bad thing. And so the driven type A personality is what it is. It serves you well in, in your career and the things. And then sometimes it doesn't serve you well when it comes to the personal drive and really trying to over control certain things, um, whether that be, you know, appearances or diet or food or anything like that. When you're feeling really um, competitive with yourself, where does that come out in your like mental wellness that may not be healthy for you? you know, as I was just explaining my journey, I had to think about my career journey. I had to think about in each city that I went to the regressions and the battles that I was fighting my eating disorder by myself. Um, I was diagnosed with anorexia when I was 19. I think that I've been dealing with the, um, the mental side and the mental battle of having a disordered eating or an eating disorder of that sort since I was probably about 10 or 11. And that's a, that's, most of my life. And every time I would move to somewhere new, I understood myself well enough to know that when I, when things felt out of control, that is what I controlled was my diet and exercise over exercising, starving myself, um, and, and feeling like, okay, I'll be okay. If I can, if I can do this, I can get, push through my insecurity in my job, if I'm controlling this on the inside and, um, not healthy, I mean, scary stuff sometimes. And, um, the wor my worst sickness was when I was in college and I mean, it, I was in the depth and of, of what an eating disorder is. And it was super, super scary, but of course I got straight A's. Right. So it was like, I was so driven and so focused on making sure that everything was perfect and trying to be perfect. Um, and, and if I made a mistake in my job, how, how that would, you know, affect me was the next day of the punishment of my of my exercise or my eating or, and, and using that to kind of feel okay. Right. And, and then knowing that I wasn't. And so in each city, I would have to find a new therapist and I would go on this, you mentioned a roller coaster. That's how my recovery journey has been. Right. So I was diagnosed and, but I didn't want to get better. So that was like this, this decline of my health. And then, then when I decided I did want to get better and then something would change in my life that felt out of control. So then it was, all, it just felt like the eating disorder was chasing me everywhere that I went, I saw this like meme one time of a, a person running and someone being chased. And it was like your urge to relapse and your desire to recover. And you're like chasing each other all the time. And that is kind of what my journey has been like in that and, and how I have um, dealt with that drive for me career-wise, it has not always been a healthy way. And um, I'm proud to say that it's getting there, but it's not been easy. It's not been easy. 
Throughout my 10 years as a therapist, I've learned a thing or two about growth. I've had the honor of supporting clients and becoming more resilient people, overcoming obstacles, and achieving their goals. What I've learned through this process is that there are five essential steps in every growth journey. With the goal of making personal growth accessible to all, I use these steps to create a planner series so that anyone can work on their growth anytime and anywhere. Each step includes pages of insight and skills from my personal and professional experiences and ends with 30 days of space for you to practice what you've learned. Personal growth isn't a quick process, but this series is designed to make it easy and fun. Learn more at www.simplybecounseling.net slash planners. And be sure to check out the subscription option, which gets you a planner delivered to your door every month for the next five months. Since you're a Well Not Perfect listener, you can get 10% off on any order using code WELLNOTPERFECT. There's no better day than today to tap into your own growth and resiliency. The ambivalence that you're talking about is always within change because when we're with sound mind and body, we understand the pros and cons of change. We understand the pros and cons of recovery, pros and cons of not recovering. Yeah. And then we're always living in that kind of medium of what do I really want? And so when I have clients talking to me about that, I explain to them that your ambivalence doesn't mean that you don't want to recover. Your ambivalence means that you're a smart, intelligent person who is weighing all of the odds and trying to decide what you want. And so living in ambivalence is going to be like the majority of your recovery or the majority of your time. And people live in ambivalence about how they're going to raise their family, how they're going to spend their finances, what kind of home they're going to live in, what kind of career they're going to have. I mean, maybe one in 10 things you're not ambivalent about, like you're very strongly affirmed in your faith, affirmed in your marriage, affirmed in your, um, I want two kids and I'm done, but there's 99% of the other things in our life, I think is ambivalence because we are evolving humans in every way possible and ambivalence for some reason can be read as, well, maybe I don't want this then. And that's not true. It's just part of being an intelligent person. Um, but the eating disorder loves to find reason why you may not really want recovery, why you really may want to continue the behaviors and the eating, the eating disorder mind manipulates situations to convince you of something that's not true. And for your process and your recovery, what have you learned your eating disorder kind of tries to tell you or tries to convince you of when you know you're in a vulnerable state? Uh, Worthlessness, failure, um, not good at your job, a lot of things like that, um, that I, I battle this hustle for worthiness that I have. Um, Brene Brown talks about that all the time. And that like really Mm -hmm. got me because that is, I feel like I have to earn everything. Uh, and that is in my career and that is in my food. Um, that is just that my worth, my worth is more in what I do and accomplish than it just is because I'm worthy. Um, that's, that's what I've struggled with a lot. And what you said about ambivalence was so brilliant because, um, and I've never heard it described like that, but that is exactly what the eating disorder doesn't want me to think. doesn't want me to be in ambivalence. I have to have a feeling about something. And typically it's that I am wrong. 
right? Like that, that I myself as a person am wrong. And that's the battle that I fight, right? So the eating disorder says, but if you feel hunger more today or you eat less or you exercise more, you, you, then you have something because otherwise you're worthless. That's where I get attacked mentally. And, and I think it's scary sometimes to say these things out loud because no one understands the battle that I am constantly in, in my brain. My therapist says this to me all the time. She's like, you are fighting all day long. And, and I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted mentally, physically, emotionally from a battle that I've been dealing with for 25 years. And, and it's, and it's gotten better, but it's so hard to let go of that because as soon as I feel like I'm letting go and I'm growing, the eating disorder slaps me in the face with something else. It's, it's my body dysmorphia that I definitely have. And it's hard. To, that is a, the last thing to go. And it's so hard to let go of what I think I see or the way you're that like I think a dancer, I you know, you're in front of the mirror or the camera or something so often yeah. that you are just so primed to have body dysmorphia, to have an eating disorder. And, you know, I, I just kind of a question to kind of challenge is like, why do you put yourself in front of the camera? If the eating disorder takes advantage of that, like, how do you maintain your passion and your goals for being a sports anchor, but then like it serves the eating disorder perfectly. Yes. It's brutal. It's brutal. This is, and I've asked this question over and over again to, you know, my biggest confidants and uh, my college girls lived this hell with me, right? They lived it with me when it was in the depths and they, to this day, know they, they can look in my eyes and know what I'm, what's going on and the battle that I'm feeling. And they've asked and challenged that so many times. Why did you pick a career that would put you in a position where the eating disorder can thrive on your feelings of inadequacy and the judgments you're going to get from other people? Like what, why would I, why would I choose that? And, and I can't articulate why other than to know that I, I, I'm good at what I do. I, I know that it's hard to say that out loud and own it. Um, I, every time I say it, I feel like I have to quantify it with, but I know I'm not the best and I, and I want to be the best. And until I get there and, and there that's arbitrary, right? Like that's not there, but that's, what's helping the eating disorder continue to fuel me. And, and yet I, I enjoy it and I have fun in the moment. Um, I do. It's just hard to figure out why I would choose that um, with the, the battle that I definitely have that d hasn't gone away completely at moments. I feel like it's gone. Um, but then I feel like I'm going to pay for that moment later, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And what you're saying is that you're valuing your experience and your talent and the things that you give to your community more than, more than you value what the eating disorder wants you to do, which is to not eat or to overexercise. Mm -hmm. So if you were to sort of stack everything up in terms of what you want out of life, fortunately, all of the things that news anchor gives you is above what the eating disorder wants. Mm -hmm. And so it's like number, you know, what it wants is number four and five. And what you want is one, two, and three, you know, yeah. you want to connect to your community. You want to feel good about what you do. You want to use your talent to your strength. And so, unfortunately, I think a lot of people with eating disorders will flip it and they'll find a world where their eating disorder is number one and two, because mm -hmm. it's controlled them. And then their desires are lower stacked. So 
they wouldn't go in front of the camera. They wouldn't be the dancer, the things like that, because the eating disorder is going to take advantage of the situation. So you've got a lot of strength to say, yes, I struggle in front of the camera or pictures and I love what I do. You're letting these two very contradicting worlds exist at the same time. And that's, I think the way to live life, honestly, is to hold the good and the bad at the same time. And somehow you're holding the good and the bad at the same time and not saying that it's one or the other. That's, that's really great. I want people who's listening to hear that, like you can have mental health, you can have problems and keep doing your goals and keep doing your passions and be really successful. Hmm. Right. And not having no mental health. Like that's, that's not really possible these days to say that I have no mental health along the journey. Like of your 75 years you live, you are going to have mental health. Mm -hmm. You're just going to have it. So you're really just, I think a good example for people, not just women, for, you know, people of all identities to say, if she can hold her eating disorder and her mental health and continue to pursue her passions and her dreams. Like, why can't I, you know, and that's super powerful. And that's what people need to hear. You do hard things. Mm -hmm. And when you're really struggling to do the hard thing, when you wake up in the morning, what do you tell yourself? How do you get to the next moment? I, I will tell you that even being able to, that, that the order of priority in my life, that one, two, and three is higher than the eating disorder that was a process. It was not always that way. There were many times where I chose the eating disorder over just straight living. Um, and, and I honestly think that I went to a small Christian liberal arts college in Western New York that no one had heard of. And, and I feel very much in my core that had I been somewhere else and gone through that battle, I don't know that I would be here. Um, that's how scary moments were at times. And, and that's how powerful the eating disorder was in that moment. Um, and, and yet when I started to have moments of recovery, I realized that, that I enjoyed that part of my life more. And that's where things, things kind of helped me to be able to hold both. Um, but I've always worked on the mental health side and, and I think it's so important, um, what the eating disorder has challenged me and said, and, and in my brain has, has said a lot is that, you know, your body's not supposed to change. You're not supposed to age. You're not, you know, like just trying to control everything that is out of control. And, and now as I've gotten, you know, now into my recovery, I feel like I am able to understand the value of, of the life I want to have. And that is being a mom. That is, my daughter is seven. I don't ever want her to think twice about the food she puts in her mouth or the, the way her, that her body looks because she's perfect. And I want her to feel that way. Same with my son, but I worry more about her because I feel like the messages she's already getting at a young age are influencing that for her. And I don't, I, that has become such a big priority to me that it makes me want to take care of myself better. Um, and I, and as I've even gotten older, I just feel like there are many moments, and I'm sure you have clients who deal with the same thing where you're just like, you know what? I don't even care anymore. Like, I'm just too tired to fun. Like, I don't want to deal with that. I want to live life. I want to, I don't want to remember my whole living experience with the, with that voice in my head. I want to move forward. And that's what I think has allowed me to say, I'm going to keep working on this, but I'm also going to keep putting myself out there because you're never going to feel, my therapist and I talk about this all the time. You're never going to feel like you want to 
exercise less. You're never going to want to feel like you, you don't want to feel like you want to do those things before you do them. Sometimes you have to do them and sit in the discomfort and, and realize it's going to be okay. And then the next time it gets easier and the next time it gets easier. And, and that is what I, that is how I've taken tangible steps towards grasping more of the life I want and less of the eating disorder uh, in the eating disordered world that I lived in for so long. Yeah. What you're saying is so important for people to hear because you need a system in place to create habits that aren't based on emotion and motivation because motivation is just like any feeling like joy or happiness or sadness. It comes and it goes. And if you have a system and you have habits in place, your emotions aren't going to overtake you. So a weekly therapy appointment, regular exercise, a schedule for grocery shopping. These are the things that you have to rely on when your mental health isn't doing well and mental health changes overnight. You know, one minute we're well, and the next minute we're stressed because our job unexpectedly lays us off. We have to have a margin of room that we've spent on ourselves so that when life happens to us, we're not all of a sudden already at empty. And then we have nothing left to give. We have to have these habits and these routines but unfortunately people think that they have to feel motivated to go to the gym. They have to feel motivated to eat the ice cream. They have to feel motivated to go to bed at nine o'clock and not about motivation. It's actually about a system and a balance of what I want for myself and what I logically logistically have to do to get it done. You know, we don't always feel like we want to do our papers at midnight, but we know we want to get an A at the end of the day. So what you're saying is really true. It's not about feeling something and then doing it. It's about doing it because you know, in the long term, you will get the feels from it, right? Mm -hmm. The achievements and things like that. And holding the both at the same time. For example, I have a rule that the first outfit I put on in the morning is the last outfit. I don't change because I can get into a cycle then I get behind on my schedule. Then I'm more irritable with my kids. Then I don't pack my lunch. You know, there's a lot of things that come with routine that buys you more time and more energy. And one of those things is I don't change first outfit on is the last outfit. And all day when I'm walking around in the mirrors and seeing how I don't like it, I just remind myself that the value wasn't about loving my clothes. It was about just having clothes on. That's all we need to do today. Tell my kids all the time. You don't have to love your food. It just has to be edible. <laughs> food is fuel. You know, I don't like this. You don't have to like dinner tonight. All you got to do is eat it. You know, life's not always about pleasures. Life is sometimes about doing what you need to do. You need to get dressed in one outfit. You need to have one meal and I don't know. Maybe it makes me a little cold. <laughs> Not at all, because I, I think I might adopt that because you should see what happens when I start changing my clothes in the morning. It is a wild scene. And you're right. I get so far behind on things and I overthink it. And then I, I often have to you know, old school, set it out the night before and not even, and just be like, whatever you put on is it because there is no time to deal with all of the other things. And, and I, I, I love that, that, that story because it, it, I don't think that makes you sound cold. I think that makes you sound what, what is practical to move forward from some of the things that hold us back and, and and knowing yourself well enough. Right. And that's something that I have learned 
over the years because I've spent so much of my life listening to the eating disorder and and ignoring my body. That that was part of my battle was to I would listen to what the eating disorder had to say and how hard I would push and I'm I'm somewhat embarrassed of the amount of exercise that I was doing. I am still paying for that dearly because I am injured all the time. I have osteoporosis. I've had that for since I was 21 years old. I get stress fractures from just simply going for a jog, but that is all the result of my eating disorder. And that is, and so, so when you say you just, sometimes you just have to do things whether you want to or not. And for me, sometimes that's rest and, and sitting in the discomfort of rest, because that doesn't feel good to me. That feels like failure to me. That's what I hear in my head. Right. So I have to do the things before I, you're never going to, I'm not going to have motivation to do them. I just have to do them knowing that that's the best thing for me and, and feeling. And then when I'm sitting in that and thinking, okay, this is uncomfortable, then unpacking, well, why, why, what, it, what is really going on here? What are you really, it, what's really feeling out of control that you're trying to control this part right now. And I think as I've gone on in my recovery, I'm starting to recognize that more and saying, okay, the reason I'm feeling X, Y, and Z about my body right now or wanting to starve or wanting to overexercise or whatever is because this is happening. And once this, this incident gets settled, you'll realize that, that the eating, this was not about the eating disorder. This was about this issue and just kind of recognizing the separate, being able to separate a little bit more and understanding that the eating disorder is not Dion. I am, I am stronger than this, than the eating disorder. That is not where my identity is. And that's what we talk about, right? Being able to hold both. I think that's why I can, because I, I recognize now that my identity is not anorexia and my identity is, is in my faith in God and is in who I am as a person and my worth as a person. And I think that's why I'm able to, to carry both. Were you always able to separate what was the eating disorder versus you? Because a lot of the clients who I see in the early stages of their treatment is teaching them that there's actually two parts of their mind. One is what the eating disorder wants and says, and then one is what Dion wants. And I have unpacked that with clients for months before they conceptually understand it because it's hard to understand that we can almost have two parts to ourselves when we're so fused with what we believe is true. It's almost like trying to convince someone that the sky's not been blue this whole time. It's really hard to dislodge. How did you start to separate the two things? It took a very, very long time. It was not I, for many years, when I would go through recovery and I would talk to therapists and I'd be in tears because I was so depressed or I was so scared of letting go of my, my, what I thought was how much exercise I had to do or how little I had to eat or letting go of any of those things. I would, I couldn't separate that. I felt like, well, who am I? If I don't have anorexia is what your brain tells you who, 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 what words do I have? What, where do I say that I belong? If I don't, if I'm not the skinniest one in the room, that's what the eating disorder would tell me. It would say, well, you may not have the right answer right now, Dion, but at least you're skinny. Like that's, that's what it kept saying to me. And, um, and I, I had to fight that and, and it took years and years and years to just, to realize, I would say in the last year, year and a half that I've really been able to separate the two. Um, it was not like that before. And, it was always, it was always where I felt like my identity was and where I knew that I could be, I could feel okay about myself is if I was living in that, in that world and, and so enmeshed in it that, that that's where I felt like I belonged. And, and 
yeah, I would say the last 18 months or so, maybe two years of the work that I've done and kind of my own maturation and growing and as a person and, and evolving and getting older, I've been able to separate the two and recognize that that, that is a part of my brain, but it is not who I am. Um, and, and then, and then recognizing that and being able to push back. And sometimes I would have to speak out loud, Audrey, like I couldn't, I couldn't let the thoughts in my brain. I would have to argue back out loud so that I would hear myself saying who I am and, and hear myself saying, no, I'm not going to listen to you because if I just stayed in my head, I would so quickly fall into those bad habits uh, and old habits and, and pushing and pushing myself and beating myself up. I had to speak out loud and, and talk myself through those moments so that I could finally get to that point where I'm separated. Yeah. I think it's important to make sure that you're hearing your thoughts out loud. And when we realize that our thoughts are our words and they're in relationship to ourselves, it's like, whoa, you know, our, my thoughts aren't just random. They're really impacting me and I'm hearing them for that reason. We have really encouraged people to record themselves in the car, just going on about what's going on in their heads out loud and then playing it back to themselves and hearing what's happening inside their brains. And it's really startling to realize how many worries, fears, negativity that's in there that we don't even notice because it's on this like autopilot. So for you to say it out loud is remarkable. And we tell people to even record themselves as a suggested skill. That has to be so powerful because you don't, and, and that's the other thing is the eating disorder is lies. It's lies that I believed for decades and, and, and being able to say that out loud, well, that's not true. That's irrational. And, and that's, that's why I was saying things out loud or why I did cling to some affirmations sometimes because I didn't believe it, but saying the words out loud allowed me to start to believe it, if that makes sense. And allowed me to let go of listening to this. I, I mean, I liken it to a demon in your head that is just ripping you to shreds and telling you lies that are not true. And when you believe them, that's when I would dive into the throes of an eating disorder, because I felt like you're right. I suck. I have to do this. And that isn't, that isn't true. And, and pushing myself through that discomfort of saying, no, I'm not going to believe this today. And, and oftentimes it was just for that day or for that hour or for, I'm not going to let the fear win today. I'm not going to let the lies win today and finding joy. Um, I, and, and, and clinging to that, I, I actually pride myself on being super positive and super encouraging. I love to encourage other people. And over the last year or so, I've kind of been like, well, why do I treat other people so much better than I treat myself and, and cheering myself on? Like, why don't I do that? I would never speak to anyone the way that I speak to myself. And, and another, that's another aspect of being able to separate and say, well, that's not who I am. That's just lies that I've been told for so long that I've allowed to just seep into my brain. And I have to fight against that. Yeah. And I'd like to add to that. Cause I know as people are listening, they get ideas for their own recovery, which I think is the beauty of podcasting is if you're in a negative place before you try to go uber positive, go neutral. So mm -hmm. if you, if it's, I'm never going to be happy with my body, then we say I may or may not ever be happy with my body. Just opening the window up to some more neutral ground before it's like, I'll love my body in the future. You know, we don't have to go from one extreme to the other. We can hit a neutral point where it says maybe, maybe not never or always, you know, just trying to break up those really exclusive thoughts of like always this or never that and saying, 
while I may or may not, and I don't know what the future holds and having just more of like a neutrality to it, I think is a great place to start rather than thinking that all of a sudden I have to believe that my future is going to be fantastic. When we we talk about recovery, a lot of people think, well, I'm just going to turn fat. And so saying my body will change in the future to my body may or may not change in the future. I don't know. And then it opens yourself up for curiosity. Like, I don't know what my future is going to look like. It'll be, I'll be interested to see what my future looks like rather than clinging on to these absolute truths mm-hmm. that we don't have, you know, eating disorders are hard because they want to know what's ahead of them. You know, they do yes. not want to know. They don't want the unknowns at all. That's probably why everyone clings to it. The most is because the unknowns are the absolute worst thing that can happen with an eating disorder. Cause that means that you could turn into someone completely different. And that's really terrifying. It, it's incredibly terrifying. And that is the lies that you're told. And, and I love what you said about shifting into neutral. Um, I may or may not love my body, uh, but the one thing that I have had to talk to myself through is just that bodies were meant to change. And, and there is this fear that the eating disorder tells you that everybody's judging that your body is changing and everybody um, is going to think differently of you. And, and it's always negative. They're going to think more negatively of you if you don't have this. And that's where that identity gets meshed in, right? Where it thinks that that's, that's the only way that you're worth anything. And being able to separate that and recognize that like I have a lot to offer the world that has nothing to do with anorexia or, or over-exercise. Exactly no one cares that I didn't run as long as I felt like I needed to today. Exactly. No one, no one, no one, everybody's okay with it. Like it's not, but the eating disorder makes it seem like this. You walk in with this big, bold light over your head that tells everybody all the thoughts that are in your head about how you're not worth anything. And it's not like that. And, and you have to kind of deal with the fears of the change and the unknown. And I like that shifting into neutral thing. And I honestly think that's a lot of time where I'm at right now. Um, in my recovery is trying to shift to that because there are so many absolutes in, in eating disorders and, and in anorexia, it's either good or bad. There is no gray. And I feel like there, you have to kind of find that gray for you that, um, that, that neutral says that I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I can't change what has, but here is where I am and kind of being there and not knowing what's going to be next and being like, okay, well, I may or may not, but today this is where I am. And this is what I'm going to believe about myself. Absolutely. And changing the words from good and bad to effective or ineffective are really good languages to change as well, because was my run effective mm-hmm. can be like, yeah, it was effective. I got a mood boost rather than it was bad because I didn't hit five miles and changing our language from good to bad to effective or ineffective, or taking the word good and bad out of our language. Cause it's really such an absolute and it's not helpful that it's kind of fun to think about what are the other words that I could use to describe my experience that is not good, bad, or fine. Those are the three words that really are not helpful, especially in therapy. When I ask how their week's been good. And so I challenge that and I say, well, let's find some other words to really describe how your week's been other than good, because that doesn't really tell me anything. If anything, it makes me feel like there's a lot more to unpack that we just don't want to unpack. Like it's an avoidance technique to like stay high level and categorize it as all good or all bad. Correct. And, and I, I would much of my life be like, I'm great. I'm so great. And I just 
wasn't, I wasn't. And, and, um, there are still days where I'm not, I, I can be real about that. Recovery is hard. It is hard, but it is a choice. And it is, um, it is what I choose the the path I choose to continue to be on. And I rather enjoy, I'm finding that I enjoy learning about who I am, um, separate from the eating disorder. And, you know, people have, will ask me questions. Well, what do you like to do? Or what do you like to, and, and outside of over-exercising and, and starving myself, I couldn't think of anything because mm-hmm. my brain was so dead to any sort of self-love or self-thoughts or what really made me happy. Um, and, and making a decision about, I mean, you understand with an eating disorder, it'd be like, where do you want to go to dinner? And I mean, it was like a bomb went off in my head and I couldn't even remember my own name. It was so scary to me. And, and that has changed in the last couple of years that has evolved for me and not being afraid to say, you know what, I do enjoy this food or I do enjoy not, I enjoy sitting on the couch with my kids. I look, I look forward to those moments rather than spending as many hours as I felt like I had to exercising. So I could earn that moment. It's different now. And, and finding out, kind of who I am away from those absolutes has been, has been a joy. It's not always been easy, but it has been fun to kind of learn those things about myself and, and recognize that, you know, that's not, that's not who I am anymore. And, and those um, it's it, those old habits, it's, it's time to let go of those and, and old chapters of my life that are no longer effective, right? I, that now I can see what is and what is helpful to me and what is actually filling my heart has nothing to do with that stuff and growing in that. And I think becoming a parent was a big part of it for me. Uh, there were a lot of times in that my doctors told me coming out of my eating disorder that they didn't think I could carry a child long-term. They weren't sure if I could have um, a healthy baby. And I have two that are perfect and wonderful. And that helped me a lot, I think, to just see how my body um, didn't, as much as I punished it over the years, it didn't turn on me. And um, finding a way to love that fact now as I'm getting older uh, is is a lesson that I'm learning, but I'm getting there, I think. Yeah. And I hear what you're saying is that it is a part of you. It's a part of your history. It's a part of your past. And the challenge to you isn't to erase it. It's to like help it come along with you, but have it backseat to your life and not a front seat to your life. And when I struggle with all sorts of things, the biggest struggle is accepting that it happened, accepting that it's there. And once I've accepted that it's going to be a part of me, I lose the battle of avoiding it. You know, if, if like anxiety spikes up or, you know, past traumas pop up, it's sort of like a, okay, I've seen you. I've experienced you. You've been a part of my life. It's not a panic of like, oh my God, how do I get rid of it? How do I make it go away? It's like, yes, I, you know, for, for example, like, yes, I have an urge to restrict food. I've seen this urge before. It's not the last one I'm going to see. I'm going to sit with this, put it in the back seat. I'm going to distract myself for a little bit, but I'm not going to panic that it's come back and that it has some significant meaning in my life that I'm going to relapse or I'm a terrible person or I'm not a good mom. It's, I've seen you before. I'm going to see you again. Come on, come along the ride. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote a book called big magic. And one of her chapters is called the road trip. And it's all about, you know, the, the fear and the things we have are going to be in our car on this road trip, but it does not have to be in the driver's seat and it doesn't even have to be in the passenger seat. And one of her lines is, and you can't touch the radio, you know, (laughs) we're not getting control of this road trip. You can just sit in the back and hang out 
And that's disarmed me because I think I've realized that I don't have to never have another panic attack, right? You know, I never have to never have another, you know, flashback or something. It's like, those things are going to happen. And when they happen, it's like an old friend just visiting and letting it kind of visit and telling it to sit in the backseat. Yeah. I've disarmed my panic. I think. I love that whole analogy because, um, I've had, again, I say just in the last few months of, um, friends and talking to friends and being like, my eating disorder has no seat at my table anymore. And, and I, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let him come along aside me and, and direct my actions, but I know that he's there and I, I know that those thoughts are going to continue to come. Um, but I, I am stronger now to fight back. I think that's the biggest thing I want to say, because I was in the throes of sickness and didn't want to get better. I'm just going to be honest. I didn't want to let it go. And, and there are still some days where I don't because it feels so scary because it's so unknown of what's going to happen if I don't have any of this in my life. Well, it's, it's that you don't know, you don't, you don't know. It may, it may go one way. It may not, it may go the other way. And I think just that calmness of not overreacting when the thoughts come in, because they are going to come, but being able to, to say to yourself, I'm not going to listen today. I'm not going to listen today. And and move forward and focus on the things that do bring joy and do in finding out about yourself and, and becoming stronger allows you to have that separation that we've been talking about the whole time. And knowing that it's not totally going to go away. Uh, I'm not sure that it does. And I, I always told people that, no, my God is bigger than that. My, I promise it will all go away. I'm not sure that it will, but I think I will get to the, I am continuing to get to the point where it isn't impacting my every decision. It isn't impacting my every move. It isn't driving my car. It's just there, hopefully further in the trunk and getting buried, but that's, that's the goal. The goal is always, I think, to continue to grow the things that serve us and then to slowly move away from the nourishing, anything that doesn't serve us. And eventually where we water our garden, it grows, right? Um, but we're not spending our time killing the old garden. It's like just, you know, just getting this one, getting this one growing. So I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your story because for someone like you, who has an image that people believe because we create images in our minds, then you pulling back the curtains and saying, this is human. This is real life. This is me is a huge example. I know I'm going to share this interview with my clients and, in my network of professionals and clients in the eating disorder world. So I know that like this gift of podcasting, which I'm obsessed with is going to have just such a life of its own and people will really find that inspiring. So thank you for having the courage to share that today. Well, I just appreciate you um, giving me a safe space to do so. I have always wanted in my heart to um, not have my journey be for naught. If I can encourage one person to make the decision to, um, to take care of their mental health and to take it seriously and find their value is not in their eating disorder or disordered eating or in the fear that their worth is because they are, because they are, because it's just there. And um, that would mean the world to me. So um, pushing through my own fear in this moment, um, but, but happy to do so. So thank you. Thank you. All right, well, thank you. And this is another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Thank you for listening to season three. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting the subscribe button and consider leaving me a review. 
And for more information, all things podcast, you can connect with us on Instagram at well, not perfect. See you next week.